0: Start with your keyword research and your audience research, and then you want to take those learnings and you want to create a content map for your website, right? It can just be a list and we can group those into 50 or so groups of six keywords each that kind of have the same intent. And so those are the 50 pages that we probably need for our website on the content side, and we're going to prioritize them from most important to least important based on the volume, how high the query intent is, and how difficult it's going to be to rank for, as well as click-through rate.
1: You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax
0: professionals.
1: Welcome to episode 209 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. You probably have a website for your accounting, text or advice practice and you probably would love your website to come up at the top of page one in Google searches for keywords relevant to what you offer. But how do you do that? The answer is search engine optimization, in short, SEO. Rand Fishkin founded Moss, a company focused on the art and craft of SEO and Moss is at the forefront of SEO research. So you will hear Rand refer to Moss a few times. Rand is considered a world leading expert on SEO and if you google just that, Rand's name is listed wherever you look. So perfect to ask about SEO. How did you become aware of this thing, SEO, and how did you realize that it is important?
0: Gosh, it was a long time ago now. I started doing SEO in 2002, 2003, when my mom and I were building websites for clients. We had you know, been doing that for a couple of years, and our clients started to ask us about getting help to appear in Yahoo and MSN search and Hotbot and Lycos and Alta Vista and Google, right? The, the very early days of search engines. And I researched the topic, you know, I looked into how to do it. We actually ended up finding some consultants in the Seattle area where we lived, who helped us out and we subcontracted work to them until we stopped being able to afford paying them. And I had to do it myself. Uh, So that's really what got me into the field.
1: And at the start, was SEO relatively easy?
0: I think there was less competition and more of a path to potentially win a market and dominate it at the time. But there were also far fewer searches and fewer searchers, so it wasn't as valuable to be on top of the search engines. And also... The degree to which information was available and the best practices were well known and talked about was very, very different than today. And the search engines themselves were very different in terms of how they operated and how opaque they were. The lack of transparency, in fact, was what caused me to start the Moz blog all those years ago, because I felt so frustrated that learning SEO was so convoluted and difficult. And the search engines kept so many things secret.
1: Have you ever seen websites getting on page number one by accident without consciously doing SEO, just doing their thing, and for some reason they do it right? Or do you find nowadays that most people who make it onto page number one have some understanding of SEO?
0: I would say it's still possible for folks to, I don't want to say accidentally, right? They do a lot of smart branding and marketing and product decisions. And those things in combination with amplification and coverage of what they're up to lead to high rankings for certain terms in Google. But what is definitely true is that I almost never maybe even would venture to say never at all have seen a site perform consistently exceptionally well across a vast range of keywords where they and have never thought about seo that just doesn't happen you can you can stumble your way into a few Terms and phrases, you can get some decent traffic from Google, but the idea that you could, you know, dominate an entire industry or do consistently well across a wide group of, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of keywords that that doesn't happen without intentional effort into the practice.
1: Can you tell me what the difference is between a search term and a keyword?
0: Generally speaking, when I use them, I use them interchangeably, and I think most people do. In technical language terms, a keyword could be used as a, a word or phrase that you put in the content of your web page, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's a term or phrase that people will search for. And a search term, of course, means the term or phrase that people enter into the box in Google or say to their phone or what have you.
1: So when keyword and search term match, then it's a match made in heaven because it means you have a much higher chance of ranking for that search term.
0: Yeah. Generally speaking, Google is still pretty language dependent these days. So they're they're sophisticated enough to know that accountant and accountants with the the plural S at the end probably mean the same thing right that most searchers are looking for the same thing they might even be able to say that if you're searching for an accounting professional or an accountant that you mean the same thing so they're going to show you mostly similar results but it is certainly the case that if you know what your searchers are looking for what people are actually typing into google you have a much better chance of ranking than if you don't know what people are searching for, and you don't optimize for those terms and phrases, and you don't understand the intent behind them. Those things are really still critical to performing well.
1: I think there are two challenges. One challenge is to that when you do appear on page number one with Google, to have an enticing enough title, an enticing enough meta description. Meta description is the little text underneath the title to have those enticing enough to actually get the click because you might make it onto page number one, but then for some reason you just don't get the click. So that's one challenge to actually get the click. But then the other challenge is actually to get the ranking on the first page. Would you say those two aims basically run parallel, whatever you do to get the click would also help your ranking and whatever you do to get the ranking would also help your click? Or are they two different strategies you need to pursue?
0: Usually there's some overlap, but I do think that there are there's value in thinking about both separately and in optimizing for each one. So, you know, getting into a high ranking position means serving Google very, very well. Drawing the click once you appear in that high-ranking position means not only serving Google well, but also serving users very well. And often that means things like having a great brand or a brand name that people recognize or have seen before, having the text in your title and your snippet, your website URL, having those be compelling such that people want to click on them. On the branding front, you know one of my favorite examples is a there was a company in, I think it was Philadelphia in the United States, and they ran an outdoor branding campaign, meaning they put up billboards along the highways. I think this was for a, um, a marketing practice, but they put up these billboards and they found that more people, despite not ranking any higher in Google, more people clicked on their search results in that area because they had seen those billboards. There have been case studies about this with television advertising and with uh, radio and podcast ads, those kinds of things. And those case studies kind of all lead to the same conclusion, which is if people know you, they are more likely to click on you when they see you in search results than they are if they don't know
1: you. Whether the link actually gets a click is probably one of the factors that will influence your ranking. So if you appear as number 10 consistently on the first page and you tend to get more and more clicks because of this billboard campaign, then you're very likely to move up and move to position number seven or number five on the first page, correct?
0: Sort of. It is definitely there is a, true that there's a strong correlation between those things, but we don't know how the causality runs. So it could be that Google, in fact, looks at the clicks and says, hey, this is ranking in position 10, but it's getting an unusually large number of clicks for ranking in position 10. Let's start to move it up the rankings. I did some tests a few years ago showing that at least temporarily, a large number of people in a geographic area clicking on a result could make that result rise to the top pretty fast. You know, this is a number of years ago that I ran several tests in a row where I asked an an audience of people to all perform the same search and click on the same result. And after they did that result that they clicked on rose to the top of the rankings, at least for a little while, for a few days. Now, that being said, Google denies that this is true, right? Google's representatives have said, no, that's not how we do it. That doesn't work. We can't explain why this result that you had at these events kept happening. Maybe it's just coincidence. I don't believe that at all. But it could be certainly the case that today, Google doesn't use the click-through rate. They use things like other indications of brand loyalty or brand performance. Maybe they use the number of branded searches around a particular company or the website traffic or or any other number of things. But it doesn't really matter to us, right? We care less about exactly what Google uses, and we care more about whether performance increases when we do certain activities. And so growing your brand's presence and awareness in a market almost certainly will have a positive impact on both click-through rate and on rankings.
1: How do you get the clicks? You mentioned one factor, and that is having already brand awareness offline, of course, helps to get the click. Is there anything else like relevance of the title to the search term?
0: Yeah. So it, it tends to be the case that searchers prefer clicking on results that they think will do a great job of answering their query and that also provide a sense of discovery, right? So a sense of curiosity. There's a large number of clicks, a large number of searches, excuse me, that are performed today that draw zero clicks. In fact, more than half of all searches that are performed on Google get zero clicks because Google sort of answers the query themselves or you get the result that you need just from the search results from looking at you know, what comes up.
1: Yes, Rand, I read that on your blog and I was quite amazed. And I thought people would just walk away empty-handed, but of course they don't. What they get the answer in the feature snippet, correct? So this Right.
0: Or in the featured snippet, or they get the answer in the form of, oh, here's the address of that accountant I was looking for, or here's what this particular term means. Or, oh yeah, they you know, I searched for whatever. Mark Zuckerberg's age. And there's a little box that comes up and it gives me the answer instantly. Right. So all kinds of things that people can extract from Google without having to click through. But as someone who does search engine optimization, part of our job is to create the curiosity that inspires someone to want to click, to want to learn more. And that can be done through the snippet, through the title, you know, the meta description, through the URL string, through the content of the web page, through branding, all of these kinds of things. So certainly you can increase click through rate, not just with brand, but also with snippet optimization uh, and with targeting of your keywords and the use of those words and terms on your pages, in your titles, etc.
1: That's a very good point. If you give the answer already in the title, then you're very unlikely to get the click.
0: That is true, but also you're very likely to get the ranking. It's a careful balance, right? Because Google is looking to promote and to rank highly those sources that answer the query as quickly as possible. And therefore they're often choosing to bias the rankings toward sites that don't draw the click, but that do answer the query as quickly as possible and as accurately as possible. So having high quality information right in there, you know, that can make a world of difference.
1: The feature snippet is this little box that already tries to answer your query in one or two sentences i can imagine whoever gets the feature snippet also has the highest chance of getting the click correct
0: not always but often that is true and certainly i think the featured snippet is a great way to be able to control what information searchers get right so many you know many companies don't benefit if no one clicks on them They don't benefit from someone searching and just seeing the answer right in the search results, but some companies do, right? Some companies can benefit from just having their information provided. And this is actually true for many local websites, right? They can provide a phone number or an address or hours of operation, or an email address or you know whatever it is right whatever quick piece of information someone's looking up they can get a lot of value by having google answer that right in the search results without requiring a click and so i think that there's both an incentive to create you know featured snippets to create content that can appear in featured snippets that can draw a click and there's also value in creating content for those featured snippets that provides searchers with the information you want them to have, regardless of whether that results in a click or not.
1: And to get these feature snippets, I read in one of your blogs that the text that you hope will turn into a feature snippet for that keyword, to have that text fairly at the top of the web page, so that it's very easy to find for Google and to have the text, a very simple, easy sentence structure straight to the point, giving a succinct answer to the question.
0: Yeah, all of those pieces of advice tend to be uh, well correlated. I have not been studying featured snippets as much as some other researchers in the space. And so I would point your listeners toward Dr. Pete Myers, who worked for who work, works for the company that I started previously uh, called Moz. And uh, Moz is obviously in the business of making SEO software. Dr. Pete has written a number of excellent guides to how to earn a featured snippet in Google and has kept up on the best practices with that. And can, you know, will illustrate in his posts ways to draw that snippet, ways to formulate your sentence structure, ways to provide that information, ways to mark it up for Google so that they can extract it effectively, ways to space your paragraphs and sentences, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these things can help you earn that featured snippet.
1: So that was how to get the click and now how to keep the ranking. I think it starts with very plain things like having a fast loading website, having a website that appeals, content relevant to the keyword or relevant to the search term, backlinks. <laughs> Would you agree with those?
0: Yeah, I think those cover a lot of the basics. There's an interesting thing between uh, what's sort of seen in practice and what tends to work very well. So. It is fascinating to see, for example, that making a a single web page very, very fast often doesn't result in rankings rising all that quickly, but making a website and all the pages on that website load very quickly seems to have a positive lift effect across all your rankings. So it's sort of an interesting conundrum on that front. It's also true that many people say, oh, well, backlinks are important to get, but if you get the wrong backlinks... That, that can actually hurt you, right? Getting spammy or sketchy ones, ones that come from paid brokers, ones that Google thinks are manipulative or spam, those can actually harm your rankings, right? And you see people benefiting from going in and you know, creating a disavow file and uploading that to their Google Webmaster Tools and recovering rankings from having said, you know from disavowing links saying like, these aren't mine, I didn't make these, don't count them. Treat them like spam. However, it is certainly the case that when you earn high quality links from high quality places, right? journalists write about your business, TV stations cover you, you're a guest on podcasts and they link to you, you get covered by blogs, you are picked up by journals or trade associations, all these kinds of links and thousands more can indeed boost your rankings significantly. Links are still a very big part of the rankings puzzle. And content too, right? So serving searchers' needs, answering their queries effectively, using high-quality, accurate, relevant information that's been fact-checked, that, that fits with sort of what Google expects the content to be and what satisfies searchers and helps them accomplish their tasks, all of that. Makes a world of difference.
1: Yes. And I think in your blogs, you talk of unique value. So, not necessarily unique content, but unique value.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, unique content is basically saying, oh, well, these words and phrases were written by me and no one else has written them in exactly this way. And maybe that helped you to stand out in, you know, 2003. But uh, in 2019, if you want to stand out, you have to be providing value that is useful to searchers and that very few or no one else is providing right so for example if you are let's say in the accounting field right you might say well what we've done here is we've made a cost estimate analysis for the top 50 accountants that appear in google maps's listings for each region for each city and you can see what the average prices are. And you can see here's what you know, here's what we charge, but here's the average prices across this. And that's something that journalists could cover, and that's something newspapers could write about. And that's something that everybody in the industry would point to. And that's something that other folks who are starting their own businesses in the accounting field might point to, right? And that's a very unique value. So anyone who's curious about pricing could get a tremendous amount of value from the aggregation of data that you've created as opposed to anyone else in the field, right, who just doesn't have that, that information. That's what I mean by unique value.
1: And I think you also coined the phrase high query success rate. So basically, if somebody comes to your site, gets the information, and then stops searching, that gives you a query success rate. And so if lots of searchers come to your site and then stop searching once they've accessed your web page, that gives you high query success rates and hence helps your ranking correct?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Basically the case that if you are the place where searchers solve their problem consistently and Google can see that, you are going to perform well in the search results, right? Google is going to rank you highly. They're going to rank you highly consistently. They're going to want to show you for more and more keywords that have the same intent because you're doing exactly what Google wants, solving the searcher's problem fast and consistently
1: one factor we mentioned for ranking is that the website is appealing i really liked your website how did you build it
0: oh sparktoro
1: <laughs> yes. uh yeah
0: we we actually custom built it so we worked with designer dawn shepard and uh, she's based here in seattle that uh, has done some contracting work for a number of folks and worked with casey and i to design and lay out the site And then Casey built it in WordPress.
1: It's quite fast, I noticed as well. It
0: is is very, very fast. Yeah, one of the things that Casey, my co-founder, who's on the technical side, is very passionate about is load speed.
1: I know it's Casey who looks after the speed of the website, but do you know what he views as a fast enough speed for a website? Is it three seconds?
0: Yeah, he's generally aiming for under two or three seconds. I think his target is probably under two.
1: So now, if there's an accountant and they would like to improve their SEO, is there kind of a step-by-step process they should go through?
0: Yeah, there is. I mean, I can give you a very simple one. There's some good resources online. In particular, there's a post by a guy named Cyrus Shepard, who wrote a step-by-step guide for small business SEO on, on Maz's website that I think is quite excellent. And there's also the beginner's guide to SEO, which if you're looking to learn the practice, I think that's a great way to go. I also would say that for many, many professionals who are not, you know, doing SEO day to day, all day, every day, it's probably a really good idea to think about hiring a consultant or an agency. Those folks are professionals. They've seen a ton of different things in search results. They have a bunch of experience. They're, you know, it's just like hiring an accountant, right? If you want to do a good job, Generally speaking, you either hire someone in-house or you pay a professional to do it. You know, learning the practice yourself and doing it can be done. And plenty of small business folks, right, do their own accounting. But Casey and I, we, we hired a professional, right? I would urge a lot of folks who are considering whether to do SEO themselves or to do it with a consultant or agency. If you have the budget, uh, that can be a great move. In terms of that simple checklist that I can give you right now, I would... Put it to you this way i would say start with your keyword research and your audience research so understand your customer who is potentially buying from you what are they searching for what do they search for before they're ready to buy what are the people who influence them searching for right the the journalists and reviewers and bloggers and authors and uh, influencers of the field right that could be people in trade associations or people who write journals or people who just you know write reviews online, what are all of them searching for? And then uh, you want to take those learnings, right? What you've learned about your audience, what you've learned about their search terms, and you want to create a content map for your website, right? It can just be a list. It's a list of, okay, we have these 300 keywords that we think will bring us the right kinds of customers. And we can group those into maybe... 50 or so groups of so six keywords each that kind of have the same intent. Searchers who perform that query are looking for the same thing. And so those are the 50 pages that we probably need for our website on the content side. And we're going to prioritize them from most importance to least important based on the volume, right? How many people are searching for those, how high the query intent is, right? Whether that's going to bring us a valuable customer or not. And, how difficult it's going to be to rank for, as well as click-through rate, potential click-through rate, if if that's something that's important to us. And then we, you know, we can build a little spreadsheet based on that. Tools like Moz's Keyword Explorer or SEM Rush, which is a competitor to Moz, or uh, Ahrefs, which is another competitor. Those are all good products to do some of that initial keyword research, to build your content list. And then then you have to go and create that content itself, right? You can talk to your customers. You can search for those keywords and see what else is ranking in Google, come up with great ideas of content that hasn't been created yet and what's going to work well, put that on your website, and then find places to amplify and earn links and earn mentions and branding. That's essentially the SEO process. There's a lot of steps we skipped, right? We we haven't talked about... Kind of all the technical forms of optimization and and markup opportunities and analyzing an existing site and doing a technical audit, those kinds of things. But that's kind of the basics, assuming that you have a fairly well put together site that loads fast and is accessible and is technically proficient that's sort of your process.
1: One very simple method would also be to just search that keyword in Google and see how many search results come up, correct? Whether you get 100,000 or 10 million.
0: No, I would not recommend using that number for anything. It's close to random and not indicative or correlated with anything useful.
1: I see. Okay. So that means you really need to go and use a proper keyword research tool.
0: Yeah, so you could use you could use something like Google Ads which will show you some volume, but Google ads will only show you volume for keywords that Google ads thinks you should bid on. They won't show you keywords that they think shouldn't show ads. They're not particularly good for doing organic search types of research. Some of the other tools, right? The, the ones I mentioned, Maz's Keyword Explorer and Ahrefs and SEMrush, those are much better for that organic sort of keyword research.
1: Is there some easy to grasp theory around long tail and short tail keywords? Is it usually better to have a long tail keyword or is it better to have the keyword relatively general and short?
0: Well, so the way to think about long tail versus, you know, fat head and chunky middle of the demand curve is essentially that it's not always the case that a keyword with more words in it, right? A three-word keyword phrase is always going to be long tail and a one-word keyword phrase is always going to be fat head. You know, you can have the inverse of that, where the three-word keyword phrase is what lots of people are searching for, and the one or two-word is what few people are searching for. So, you know, I'd think about it in terms of volume, not in terms of number of words in the keyword phrase. But when it comes to volume, it could be that something that has very low search volume, you know, zero to 10 searches a month, potentially, can still send you extraordinarily high-quality leads and traffic. So I wouldn't tell you not to rank for those, right? I think going after those can be really smart. It's just that you want to prioritize based on a combination of these things, you know, volume and how important it is for you in terms of sending you good customers and how difficult it's going to be to rank and potentially the click-through rate as well. I'm less familiar with the other tools, but Moz's Keyword Explorer will give you all four of the numbers I talked about. So they will tell you the volume, they will tell you the potential click-through rate. So they'll make an estimate of what percent of people will click through to one or more organic listings. They will give you an estimate of the difficulty, You know how hard will this keyword be to rank for versus these other ones based on the you know, domain authority and page authority of the other ranking pages. And they will give you a field that you can fill out to say, how important is this to my business on a scale from sort of zero to 10? And so then you can, you know, sort of fill out those numbers. And with the other numbers that are provided, kind of build your spreadsheet right in the product. I'm pretty sure, I haven't used SEM rush in a little while, but I'm pretty sure AA trust tool works very similarly. You can, you know, sort of add things to your list and then customize it and and prioritize keywords and get this sort of high quality output that you can then use to, to set your priorities of which keywords to go after. So yeah, they do provide more than just volume.
1: How to pick a good SEO specialist? Because, you know, we all get emails from India offering To get us on Google page number one, I highly doubt that they would be able to. What to look for in SEO specialist? How to tell whether somebody is
0: good or not? I wouldn't recommend, generally speaking, that you go with someone who sent you a random spam email. That being said, I do think that going for folks who are in your network, right? So asking some of your colleagues who maybe run their own small businesses who they've used, that's a great way to go. I think going to a conference or an event is also excellent, right? You can listen to folks speak about SEO on stage and, and talk to some of the speakers, uh, ask them for their recommendations, potentially even work with someone that you find very compelling and, you know, whose material sounds like a really good match for you.
1: You're talking about SEO conferences. Yeah, that's right. Not accounting conferences.
0: I mean, to be honest, I think some, you know, professional industry, I don't know the accounting field super well, but some professional industry conferences even in niches like, you know, travel, hospitality, banking, et cetera, will invite search marketing experts to come and give talks, right? Or marketing experts generally, and asking them for their recommendations is a good way to go. You can also go to, you know, accounting conferences, especially if there's geographic differences, you can ask your colleagues who might work in, you know, a different geography than you, hey, who did you use for your SEO? Could you recommend them to me? Great. That's a really good way to get a tip as well.
1: You mentioned markup opportunities before. What are markup opportunities?
0: So there are different ways of marking up different kinds of content for Google. Some of the most obvious ones are specifying an image to show with a recipe, if you run a a recipe or a cooking website. But there are literally hundreds of them at this point. Many of them fall under the schema.org markup formats. Plenty of them can offer featured snippets or other kinds of visual changes in the search results, right? Ratings and reviews, an image to go alongside your, your content, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But all of those are accessible through you know opportunities that Google has created and publicized. And you can research them. There's plenty of great blog posts out there about, you know, how to optimize for various kinds of markup and what kinds of markup are available. And it's also the case that, you know, an SEO professional can help you kind of choose the right ones to go after. For many accountants, you know, things like ratings or reviews might make an appearance, and there's probably a couple of others, but it, it's going to be a fairly limited sample set.
1: I have never heard the phrase marking up content before. What does it
0: mean? It basically means that there's there's like these tags, right, that you can put in the HTML of your web page that indicate to Google that a certain piece of information matches a certain type of result in a way that they might display it. So. You know, it could be like a geographical marker. It could be a star rating. It could be a a name, a proper name or something like that. It could be an image. And all of those things are things that you can mark up with this protocol essentially that falls under, much of it falls under schema.org. And then a few things Google offers, especially for various verticals as well.
1: Is the title more important than the meta description?
0: Title is more important. Yeah, meta description. Sometimes Google will use it. Sometimes they'll just take something from the page. It's not particularly important in rankings, but it can be important for click-through if they use it. So generally speaking, title, though, always appears right in the, you know, in Google's listing, not always, but almost always appears in Google's listings. And it's a big signal of relevancy to them. So it is very important.
1: And do you like the Yoast SEO plugin that WordPress websites use?
0: Yeah, I like Yoast. I like All-in-One. There's a few other competitors out there that can be serviceable as well. Many people find Yoast friendly and easy to use. So I, I certainly don't recommend against it. Like anything else, you know, it's a tool, but you have to use it installing yoast will do nothing for you if that's all you do you have to then also follow the recommendations and you know go do good markup and go put in your titles and use your keywords wisely and then all those kinds of things
1: Google Ads help SEO. So if you run a few Google Ads for a keyword you really want to rank well for, do Google Ads help?
0: Let's see. Not directly. Sometimes they can help indirectly, but they they never help directly, meaning you aren't just going to get value by bidding on a keyword and then suddenly find your, your SEO rankings there. It can help indirectly.
1: I was quite surprised when I looked at some of the statistics on your blog. I was quite surprised how few clicks paid ads actually get. You know how you have this overview of clicks there and there's a large part that has zero clicks and then there's a large part of organic clicks. The paid clicks are just a thin red slice at the very top. I was really surprised about that. I thought the paid ads would get a lot more clicks.
0: In some verticals, I've seen a few verticals where click-through rate is as high as 30%. You know, if you take only the commercial terms that include the word hotels that have four ads above the fold, it can go as high as 30%. But then, you know, you can do searches for in academia and see zero search results that contain any ads for millions of searches right and so this is it's a blended average there are certainly cases where you know some search terms will have paid click through rates in the 10 to even 20 25 percent as high as but across all of google's searches It's only going to be a couple, three, 4%.
1: If you search something really peculiar, then of course, nobody would have bid on that keyword. Hence, no ads would appear. Hence, of course, that search wouldn't have. I
0: mean, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be very peculiar. You can search for a lot of actors' names, which are, you know, very, very popular, right? I can search for. um, Rand Fishkin. Right, sure, sure. Or Beyonce. And there won't be ads, right? Because that's not what searchers want. They they want to go to that person's website or they want to see their IMDb profile. They want to learn about them.
1: I once heard you saying, or maybe I read it, I once heard you saying that don't worry about the people who tell you you need to be everywhere and you need to be where your users or customers or clients are. Just choose the channels you are happy to work in. So if you enjoy video, do video. If you enjoy audio, do audio. If you enjoy writing, do blogs, just go with what you enjoy. Is that a fair quote of your thinking?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that finding one marketing channel that resonates with you and that works for your audience is the best way to go. I don't think Especially, you know, for small business operators. I don't think it's reasonable to ask folks to, you know, target fifty different channels or even five different channels with any kind of effectiveness.
1: Choose the weddings you want to dance on. Yeah. Because you can't dance on all of them. That's right. Welcome back. Rand refers to articles on the Moss blog a few times and I highly recommend their blogs. Just go to Moss.com, Moss as in MozzieByte moz.com but there are also tons of other very helpful articles on seo and other websites in the next episode episode 210 jeff steen of brown wright steen lawyers in sydney will talk about asset protection until then thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support bye for now and see you in the next episode